KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I'm not saying this because I'm a coach now, but I think it's coaches that took care of me and made sure I got to the right places to have those opportunities. And I think for that, I'm, I'm forever thankful. But I think I try to do the same when I coach. Like, you should do this, and this would be a good experience. And even if you don't make it, it pushes you out of your comfort zone. It'll improve your game. And our guest this week is Kathleen Geiger, a true Delco legend. She was a star field hockey and lacrosse player at Temple University. Her lacrosse career carried her to the level of playing for the U.S. team, and she made such an impact. This year, she was honored with the Tawaratan Legend Award. She has coached for decades at the high school level as well, currently an assistant at Springfield. And Kathleen, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Matt. So the Tawaratan Legend, that's a big deal what does that mean to you and how did you find out you were being honored with that? I have a, a really good relationship with Tina Sloan Green and that was my temple coach. And um, she had reached out to me and said that I was going to be hearing from the Tawaratan committee that I had been selected for this year's uh, legend award. And I was like, wow, it's legend means I'm old. Right. And she's like, no, no, it's, it's a great honor. You know, it's uh, well-deserved. So um, when you get an honor like this and you get it from your college coach, I think it's always that much more exciting because we've obviously known each other for 35 years now, but the impact she had on me from 18 to 22 is just immeasurable. The sport of lacrosse, when you started playing I think it was just starting to break through into the mainstream. And you look from your college days to now, it is incredible, the growth. It's on TV, professional leagues. What has it been like to be someone passionate about the sport and just see how it has exploded over the years? I think that um, we talk about the hotbeds of lacrosse. And we are in one of them. And obviously, New York and Maryland will fight for the right to say they're the hotbed. But when I was coming out of high school, my Temple team was a lot of Delco kids that played multiple sports. And you're right, it wasn't the sport. And when you know I first announced to my family that I was going to Temple and I was going to play lacrosse, they were like, lacrosse, what about, you know, you've been playing basketball since you were six. And, you know, what about field hockey? I said, well, I'll probably play field hockey too, because I'll need to do something all the time because I was a multiple sport athlete that was always moving. So lacrosse increased in, I think, participation over the years. And I think we've kind of went with, uh, if we start them at youth, well, they'll love the game, just like when we started basketball as youth or started soccer as youth. And so I think that we kind of um, have shown our growth because there's always something exciting to do in each season. But the lacrosse people like to say it's always lacrosse season. I'm a believer that lacrosse season is the spring. The college game, yeah, it might start in February, but it's still a spring sport. But its, it's popularity came with the fact that it's fast. It's exciting. It's a lot like other sports that people had already played. And then the more people like myself graduated and figured out ways to continue to grow the game I think that's why it's where it is today. And, you know, there's 85 Division One teams and they all want to be in the Final Four this weekend. But as you know, there's 350 Division One softball teams. So we still have a way to go, but I think we've done some great things for this sport. So let's talk about 
growing up, you already kind of referenced you played a ton of sports. You were always playing something. What was your introduction to lacrosse? Because late seventies, early eighties, like we said, it wasn't everywhere. So, kind of what what opened the door for you to that sport? I think that that's something that's interesting to my story of lacrosse. I was a field hockey player. I was a soccer player. So I was playing field hockey for the high school team and soccer for the club team, which now everybody's on a club team of some sort. But at that time, club soccer was big, but it was not high school soccer for us. And my PE teacher was like, I know you're going to play hockey for me, but I think you should try lacrosse. And I was a ninth grader. I was 14. I had never touched the lacrosse stick. So my introduction was, hey, you are an athlete. You like sports. Try this one. And then instantly to me, it was basketball and I love basketball. And here I am, like, I still am a basketball junkie, but lacrosse took me places. <laughs> you went to Lansdowne Alden, correct? High yes, school? Lansdowne Alden High School. I have the uh, ability to say I was the last class of Lansdowne Alden High School. It then became a merger school with Darby Cowan and Yaden to become Penwood, which is where I went back and coached after I finished the Temple. Were you good at lacrosse when you first take it up? Did it make sense to you or did it take a while to find your rhythm? I think the biggest thing for me was to commit the time to throw the ball against the wall because you had to learn how to catch and you had to learn how to throw. But athletically, I could use basketball defense and I could just stay on a girl. And I also had this extension to my arm that I could block the ball down. It took me a while to learn how to pick it up. It took me a, lot, a little while to learn how to catch it. But when I think about my growth from when the first day I played till the end of my freshman year, playing with sophomores, juniors, and seniors who took it to you because they like to compete, I think athletically, I was in the right sport. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the basketball, you know, the defense. How much did your experience in other sports, how much did those skill sets help translate that maybe accelerated your growth in lacrosse? Whereas if you had started it kind of cold as a first sport at a younger age, like were you able to maybe get away with things because you were such a good athlete or kind of learn things on the fly that made it a quicker transition? I think so. Well, one, I had the ability to be fast. I mean, I had speed, but I had this quickness because of basketball that transcended into the lacrosse game that, you know, if I anticipate where the ball is going, if I run faster and I anticipated it sooner than the other player, I have a better chance of getting the ball. And if I don't get it in a catch or I have to track down a ground ball, I got better at doing that. When I coached youth, I used to always say to the girls, if you can learn to get a ground ball, if you don't catch it, you can always put it in the direction you want to go. So I think that um, my ability to play basketball, to play defense, my ability to play soccer and play in an open field, I think both those things helped me tremendously as a lacrosse player. And again, I always say this, my faith in my coach to put me in situations where I could have some success kind of quickly, kind of grabs you and sucks you in. And then all of a sudden you have a new love. <laughs> to that point, when did you start to realize you were good? I don't know that that actually happened to me. I mean, really probably until I got to Temple and I was playing for a team that was already a national powerhouse and I was in the lineup. And I was like, well, somebody should pinch me because... You know, this isn't, I anticipated that I would go and I would play, probably meaning that I would compete at practice, but to know that I made the level of competing in practice and fighting for a spot and getting a spot, I think that's when I realized I had some talent, but I will tell you, my growth in the game was all the time. Like 
from getting Tina to teach me things to teaching those things to new kids when I was a sophomore to playing for a national championship as a sophomore and then taking that experience to the next year. We were 17 and 0, but it's always like I was always adding something to my game because, I mean, as you know, at that level, everybody's fast. Everybody has good athletic talent. Now, what's going to separate you? And I think that I am a student of the game and I figured out ways to do things at each level I played at, going from high school to college, going from college to U.S. I mean, you know, these everybody's great. Why did you choose Temple when you started looking at colleges? I mean, obviously, we talked about Tina Sloan Green, a legendary coach who had the, an elite program there. Were you looking to stay close to home? Kind of what all figured into what eventually was your college decision? Well, first, I should give you, I am one of eight children. And I was the first one going to college. Financially, that was not, you know, like you said, 70s and 80s, you weren't paying those big fees. And as, as well as I would say, I would love to have gone to Temple. We didn't afford Temple. I was going to Westchester and I was going to try to, you know, take out loans and pay for it and, you know, try out for their teams. And Tina came along after a couple high school playoff games and playing in an all-star game as a senior, probably looking at me and saying, I see the athleticism I want that kid and giving me the financial means of an athletic scholarship to go to Temple. So for me, Temple chose me. And obviously now as an, a parent of children that have chosen a college, I, I am so glad I got chosen because it had so much to offer me and it was perfect for me. Yes, it's close to my family, which was another bonus. Um, my brother was there at the same time as me. Um, and he was loans and, you know, financially figuring it out. So I am blessed to have had an athletic scholarship. And, um, I thank Tina for picking me. (laughs) I wasn't one of those. I had seven scholarship offers and here I am. That wasn't, I was found. (laughs) And you, I think you referenced this earlier. You played field hockey at Temple as well. Was it all four years you played field hockey? And a starter all four years. Yes. And I'm so, not saying that because I'm bragging. I'm saying that because when I think of the opportunity that they gave me, they said, you know, you'll really enjoy it, play both sports. It was a different time, you know. Now when they tell you to play both sports, it's a whole different commitment. You're missing fall ball or spring ball for the other sport. So um, I look at the game now and I say I would still do it. If they would have let me, I would have tried to play basketball at Temple. I just love um, gym rap. You know, a gym rat that loves to play. <laughs> How did you, like when you were playing field hockey, Was were you just focused on field hockey? And then when lacrosse, you were just focused on lacrosse, was there any crossover or was it basically once one was put to bed, the other one woke up? I think sometimes we had in the end of the first semester, in the beginning of the second semester, sometimes we were doing double duty, um, more so weight training, more so nutritionists and stuff like that. Academically, making sure we were all doing well because As you know, sometimes athletes take the heavier load in their non-season. So we had to be, you know, continually to be monitored. Like, are you doing okay academically? You're playing two sports. I don't think it was ever put to rest, but I will tell you, I played a national championship game in both sports. So we were at the top level in both sports. So we were playing long into both seasons. (laughs) Did playing the two sports at that high level, did it help? keep each of them fresh because you had something different to look forward to. And I I mean, it's obviously wear and tear physically just because you're playing high level sports, but 
it, it wasn't field hockey all the time, or it wasn't lacrosse all the time. You had something different to kind of change things up, a different group, you know, and, and not that one was better or worse, just different and something, you know, to keep it fresh. Did, did, do you think that helped? I think it helps even now as a coach. I like that my players play other sports and I like to go watch them play other sports. Um, we can talk about one to the other. And I think that helps the players. For me, I didn't feel wear and tear as much as um, I enjoyed the opportunity to be with different people on the field hockey field. Um, some the same, but then different people on the lacrosse field. But I definitely think it keeps your love of the game because it, you, you're not oh, I got to go to practice. You're not feeling that because, you know, you're practicing January, February, and you're in your first game in March. This semester's over at the end of May, but you're still playing. So that's a long season. When you're playing field hockey in August, nobody's really playing lacrosse. So you're not feeling like you're missing things, but you are feeling like you're preparing for the next semester and, you know, being in the hockey season. So I think it helps, but I also think some can't do it. I also have noticed from kids I've coached that when they got to college and only played one sport, and I'll use lacrosse as the example, I've seen their improvement, a tremendous amount of improvement because now they're focusing on all the little things because they're always talking lacrosse now, which I think is good. So you had an incredible career at Temple individually, and you were part of a program that was at the top level. Well, I think you went to the some national semifinals all four years you were there. National title in 84, scored a ton of points. Like when you look back, if I ask you greatest memories of your college career, what's at the top of the list? I think for me is, and, and, and being a female athlete, I think for me, it's being surrounded by 30 like-minded women who are powerful, strong, enjoy the competition. They're aggressive. They're relentless. They want to be successful in athletics. I was now surrounded with all of those people. It's almost like a sorority. All of a sudden, it's, it's your group. And um, I will tell you, I went to college not knowing how I would do, how this experience would be, how living away from home would be. So I think that the backstory would be that's a great experience. So my fondest moments are being with those people. Winning the games, yeah, that was exciting. And I won a lot, a lot more than I lost. But I can also tell you when I lost 8-7 to Penn State to get knocked out my junior year. So I know how I feel either way, but I will tell you it's just being with them. Tina Sloan Green, from a player standpoint, playing for her, what made her so special as a coach? Well, she once she had a great staff. So she was always the mastermind behind what we all were learning in different parts of the practice. But um, also she, her words were always very soft-spoken, but they were to a point. But they always were constructive to improve your game, to improve our team's game. So you were listening. I, I like to be coached. So I'm, I'm the coach's kind of player. And I think that Tina knew that. So she always was in my ear. And some people don't like people in their ear. I loved it. I always say to the kids I coach, if I'm not in your ear, you should be more worried. <laughs> so you have all this success at Temple. Then you go on to play at the national level for the U.S. team. How does that door open? I mean, is it something you pursue or is it something that is brought to your attention? You know, they obviously you're playing at a high level, you're playing in high profile games. So it's not you know hard to see that you would be a good fit. But how does it come together? I think my freshman year when we lost at Franklin Field, um, when you get to the NCAAs, 
the U.S. team is watching the coaching staff and they're like, let's get this kid out on the field to try. So I got an opportunity to go to tryouts through that. And then you can also play in like a club program during the um, national tournament weekend. And you would be, I was on the Philly college team and they would pick you out of that and you could go to the U.S. tryouts in late June and then you'd be on the squad. And then once you're on the squad, you're, you're now playing with people who are the best of every team. Um, so my game's improving again because it's so competitive. So that's how I got in the program. I stayed in the program probably because I learned and I improved. And Tina and Sue, Sue was the coach, assistant coach to Tina. She was uh, one of the U.S. coaches. There were other U.S. coaches that coached other college teams. So I was competing against them during the college season and they saw what they liked, I guess. And then I got a couple different spots in the U.S. program at different times. And uh, then I just played it right at the right tryout at the right time to play in three World Cups, which that experience is, you know, unbelievable. Was it an incredible step up from a talent standpoint, like, or did it feel like it wasn't that huge a step because you've been playing at such a high level in college? Did it just kind of feel like an extension of that? Or was it, whoa, all right, this is, I get it. Um, I think that for me, it was like, oh, this is so exciting. But I always felt like I was fighting to belong because I was, you know, you're only 23, 24 years old. And there was a girl on the team that was 32. So I'm like, you know, she's been around for a long time there. They're going to pick her. So I felt like I was always fighting there where at Temple, I would had a comfort zone and Tina always tried to push me out of my comfort zone, which is how I, I think I got better. But I think that you always feel comfortable in your own team compared to being on the U.S. team where they're all coming together from different colleges, different uh, you know, people who are out post-college, but still competing and have so much more experience than I do at the international level. So I always felt like, one was a little bit different than the other, and one was a whole lot more uh, challenging for me because I was fighting to be to belong. Were you playing the same game? And by what I mean by that is, was the same things expected from you with the U.S. team as they were on Temple? And I, and I don't mean coaches' expectations. I just mean literally what you were asked to do. And position-wise, was it a different type of game once you were with the U.S. team than it was at Temple? No, I think the difference might be at Temple, I came in, I was a midfielder, I played midfield role, I scored from the midfield role, but at the U.S. team, I think a lot of times all the players that end up making the U.S. team are midfielders, and then we get put into where we are needed if that's the right way to describe it. So I think the benefit for me was Tina was always defining my role by where we were in the season, and today you're going to do this, and you know, whereas with the U.S. team, I was always fighting to play a midfield position because I knew that's what they saw me as um, because there was girls that could score goals like Karen Borby and Betsy Doherty. They had been on the team two or three years before me and graduated two years ahead of me that their scoring ability was phenomenal where I was learning to do all the other things, you know, transition the ball, pass the ball to the right person. Where at Temple, I knew that I was scoring goals. That was my I guess, job. So I think I had different roles, but I think I enjoyed the opportunity in both places. At Temple, I probably, I don't want to say butterflies, but I didn't have butterflies. Once I found out that Tina believed that I could do it, then I was just trying to get better at what she believed I could do. Whereas on the U.S. team, I was always trying to find a, a spot. What was it like with the U.S. team? I would have bet you're touring all over the world. Yes. When I, when you wait, when you play in a World Cup, you tour 
uh, wherever we, I did play one at, I was a manager in 2005 when it was here. But when I played in the three that I competed in, I was in other countries. Yeah. Where were some of the cool places you got to go? Uh, my first one was in Australia, which was phenomenal. I never saw myself as a traveler, but this was very exciting to go to a country that you just never thought about. And now you're you're in there and you're taking in the city and you're enjoying the the moment. I played the second one in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and the third one, which was um, in 1997, I played in Tokyo, which was, you know, there were really, they were really trying to build the sport and they were so inviting to us and they were so impressed by us. You know, we were the crowd favorite, but they were also very respectful and kind to us as the host nation. So yeah, the college experience, you go from college to college is interesting. And then you play on the U.S. team and you go from country to country. Yeah. We need to take a break. We will have more with Kathleen Geiger right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with former Temple University women's lacrosse and field hockey star Kathleen Geiger. Was it ever overwhelming from a social standpoint? I mean, like you're from Delco, then you go to college in the city, and then a couple years later, you're playing lacrosse, like you said, in Australia, Japan. Were there moments of like, wow, how did this happen? Like, this is crazy. I think my family really did like say that a lot. Like, how did you get this? And I'd be like, I don't know. I, I played well in this game and they asked me to come to a tryout. But really, and I, I'm not saying this because I'm a coach now, but I think it's coaches that took care of me and made sure I got to the right places to have those opportunities. And I think for that, I'm, I'm forever thankful. But I think I try to do the same when I coach. Like, you should do this and this would be a good experience. And even if you don't make it, it pushes you out of your comfort zone. It'll improve your game. So I think there are the opportunities that I had that I was like, how did this Delco kid end up here? And recently I was at a high school game where I was coaching and Jackie, who you've interviewed from Cabrini, who was my teammate at Temple, she came to the game and I have a present for you. And she's like, I'm so excited about your award you're going to receive. And um, I had this and she gave me the Tawaratan print of the, the trophy and what it actually looks like when the players get it in at the end of every lacrosse season. And she's like, how did a Delco kid get this? And that was like a moment. That was like a moment, like you're saying, how did it happen? I don't know. Been in the right place at the right time. Maybe I should have played the lottery. That's really, that's how it happened. And a lot of good people took care of me along the way. And Jackie is Jackie Neary, another veteran of this podcast, longtime legendary head coach at Cabrini. So you're still playing well out of college. How does coaching fit into the equation? Was coaching always something you figured you were going to do or does an opportunity come about and you're like, give it a shot. Why not? I I don't know if you remember, remember, but a lot of people had boys and girls clubs and we had them in Lansdowne, which was a very small town. And even as a young teenager, I coached. Um, So I always had a love of sharing the passion of a game, trying to get kids excited about trying it and having fun. I've only ever coached girls, so I'm speaking from that side of it. So when I was in college and I was finishing my freshman year, my high school coach, Deb Gallagher, said, oh, you should coach at a camp. You would like it. And you probably have heard of Tina. Tina's competition with Cindy Timshaw, who at that time was at Maryland. She's like, oh, come work at my camp. Cindy's a Haverford grad. She's a Westchester State grad. Tina, uh, Deb, they, they say you'll be a great coach. So I started doing camps because someone said you would like doing it. And then when I got done at Temple, Deb was like, you should coach at Penwood. They they need a coach. You would really like it. I started coaching field hockey and lacrosse and 
that's the history of always coaching. How did coaching and playing at the same time, obviously different levels, different, but, you know, kind of simultaneously, that's an interesting dynamic. You're staying close to the roots of playing. So you kind of maybe maintain that appreciation of what the players are going through and when they need a kick in the rear end, when they need a hand on the shoulder, like you, you don't get too far away from it. Do you feel like that helped you as a coach stay connected to the players because you were still a player yourself? I think sometimes it helps you, but um, Sue Stahl, who coached the U.S. team, would sometimes get right in my face and say, you're not coaching. So yeah, there's a plus and minus to that. I think for my livelihood, I think I always thought I would be a coach um, in some some regard. So coaching has always been a part of it's the best part of my day. So when I was trying to compete, I had to make it a different time in the day. I either had to do it in the morning before I went to my paying job. And then I would coach in the afternoon. And then at night, I would work with my stick, obviously, generally by myself. But when my husband was willing to step in front of a few shots, he got the job. So I think, yes, I had to do what everybody has to do. I have to find what schedule works best for me. But I also think you're correct. It gives me an opportunity to look at it from the player perspective. When I am a coach and a coaching perspective, when I am a player, that it is a difficult position to be in. And every time I easily could have been cut for another player who provided them the same opportunities for the team. But I often say to the kids I coach now, what makes a great team is how they, the chemistry is how they work together. So sometimes I fit a different role and that may have been the bonus of being all a coach and a player at the same time. When did you decide to stop playing at a, at the U S level, like at that high intensity level? I guess going back to what you said, how do you do both? I already had my first child. So Katrina was three when I left for Tokyo, I was competing at the highest level and all of those players were great. Kelly Monte, who's Northwestern's great coach right now, she was at the prime of her game. I knew I was fighting to be on the field because I was the oldest player on the team. And the defenses were, you know, being designed around who they could stop. And we all know age catches up to you. So I think for me, it was we won the World Cup. Hey, let's go out on top. So I was ready to have uh, my second child. And I was working full time as a teacher. I was coaching, you know, and obviously I have a husband and I have a, a large family. So, you you know, I think, you know, you know, I worked hard to make that team in 2000, in uh, 1987, but I didn't stop participating. I, I became the team manager and did two World Cups after that. Was it, it sounds like you were very comfortable with the idea of not playing anymore because a lot of people you talk to, especially elite athletes, they may retire, but it's still there. That fire is still there. And maybe you're watching something and you start to think, hey, you know what? Maybe I could ramp it up one more time. It sounds like you were in a place where you were able to kind of put it to bed. Um, I think at that level, I had to put it to bed. I still played club lacrosse until I was 42. I still played basketball and rec leagues. Um, I played field hockey on Sundays. So I don't, I'm a very competitive person, but I also don't like to be um, not able to compete. So I knew that I could no longer compete at the U.S. level, but I didn't stop competing as a as a person who likes to just play sports. So you were still getting that that itch scratched, like just the, the competition. Yeah. And I tell the players I coach now, we were in an exciting game yesterday with Radner. We had beaten them a couple of weeks ago only by a goal, but now it's the playoffs. It's do or die. 
And I said that when the game was over, I said, my heart's still racing. And I didn't even play because I feel that intensity of being in the game and wanting them to be successful and hoping that we prepared them to be successful, but can only control certain things. So my heart's racing. <laughs> so you spent, I think it was 15 years as the head coach at Penwood. I was 10 years at Penwood. 10 years at Penwood. And for the last several years, you've been an assistant at Springfield. I am curious, as someone who has tasted high-level success, is success more gratifying playing or coaching? For me, I'm going to have to say playing because I can control. <laughs> and that I was my next to, question. Yeah. <laughs> I always say to the players, I wish I could play for you today, but I have to sit over here and hope. So I think for me, it would probably be things that I can control. So I'd be playing because um, there's too many un things I can't control when I'm not. And that was like, I was going to be my next question because I talked to a lot of people who play at high levels in their sport and then they start to coach and it can be incredibly difficult to let go that control because when you're coaching, you can put it up on the whiteboard. You can tell the kid, you can drill the kid, you can practice, you can look in their eyes. But once they go across the line, you have ceded any opportunity to do anything. How long did it take you to be able to to do that even begrudgingly and, and kind of accept it? Or is it still something you still have problems with today? I, I always wish I could get out there and play with them. So I probably still have it, but I know <laughs> That's not going to happen. But when we do certain things at practice, I will step in. And when I say step, I'm standing still. And I will do it again and show it again. And I love the ability to do that. And I know that will someday come to an end. But I think for me, competing is something that I truly enjoy doing. And I still watch my daughter play in the Athletes Unlimited Pro League. And I still feel myself lift off the seat as if I'm catching the ball or put my shoulder into her fake, check a stick, whatever. But I know that I can only do so many things at the, the, the ripe age of 58. But I don't I don't ever think that when I'm on the sidelines, I'm not in the game because I think I am. <laughs> Probably because they would wish I would sit down like the kids I coach. <laughs> Has the game changed a lot? When I watch the college game from my moments at Temple, I think that the college game um, has gotten faster, not because I don't think that the athletes that I played with and against were fast, but I think that the stick and the technology on the stick has made the ball move faster. So goalies have to be better on the field. I think the risk that the person you're throwing it to uh, is you know they're going to catch it because obviously now we know that almost of the 28 kids on your team, 27 are on scholarship, so they're all exceptional. So that's great. Whereas when I was at Temple, I don't think half of us were on scholarship. So I think the game has gotten faster at the college level. I think at the high school and youth level, the game has gotten better. And I think a lot of that has to do with more opportunities to play at a younger age. I know for my own two girls, I started the youth program in Haverford because I wanted Katrina and Allison to play young, see if it's a sport they liked, not because I wanted them to play the sport, but I always had my kids in something every six weeks. Try this for six weeks. You might like it. We ran the lacrosse league for six weeks. You might like it. So I, you know, I guess my feeling is, especially in sports, the game is getting better. Athletes are training more, training differently. We're providing them more opportunities to do that. Sometimes I think it's at a cost. How so? I think the multi-sport athlete and enjoying high school sports 
should not be lost on the few people that, you know, maybe want to go to the college level, the next level. Um, youth sports, we want everyone to participate, but some people want us to still be worrying about winning and losing. So might be at the cost of somebody you think that didn't get a chance to play, that may they might have been getting better at the game. But because we are worrying about the winning and losing, sometimes we forget that. So I think playing a lot of sports is a better thing. And back to what you said before, there's no, you're not like you're missing something and there's no burnout. And I know with soccer for us, for years, I played soccer all, all year round because that's what soccer players did. Now we know lacrosse players do that. We know basketball players do that. I don't know. Sometimes I think that's at the expense of some of the moments that you should be enjoying and we're not. <laughs> what has it been like over your career from high school to now? Women's sports have just taken these quantum leaps forward on multiple fronts in multiple sports as far as accessibility, as far as exposure, as far as athleticism. What's it been like to watch that happen? Well, Matt, just like you're doing this podcast and you're interviewing women that have had success, but maybe not in the mainstream media um, hearing about it. I think for me, it's exciting to watch the WNBA. I flew out to Phoenix two years ago to see Diana Taurasi and Deldon play each other because I'm just a sports fan. Investing in sports for women has grown tremendously. Women making money in sports, it's exciting to see. Back to the moments when I coached that first lacrosse camp, I don't even know what they paid me. But now I know because Katrina's in college sports right now, like now I know what they get paid. I'm like, wow, I think that's awesome. Anytime I can see that sports, I guess, gives equal pay, if that's the right word to use in women's soccer, or the WNBA flying in flights and not being crammed into the everyday flight, anything like that is great for sports. Getting paid at the level that you should be paid for something that you excel at beyond all of us is great. I still like enjoy watching a middle school lacrosse game because my niece is playing or, you know, a youth soccer game because my nephew's playing. I think sports in general, and I think Jackie and Tina and some of the other people that you've interviewed who I know from the Delco, sports in general have given you great moments in life, but they've also taught you so many skills that you use in your everyday job, your relationships with your family, you know, your own immediate family and how you build that. I think sports is great. And to watch women's sports bloom the way it has from the women's soccer. And I love it. I went down to the ballpark and watched Carly Lloyd, her, you know, last Philadelphia area game at PPL. I was like a little kid signed my Jersey, my, that I'm wearing my lacrosse team was in Annapolis. We ran into Deladon in a restaurant I was like a stalker. I went up. I'm like, hey, can you please take a picture with my team? I need to tell them about your greatness. You you were literally, you know, 12 miles away in Delaware. So I, I anything with women's sports and the, the bonus of it being successful, I love to see it. If I played a little part in it, um, I had two players go onto the U.S. team. That's exciting. But I know for them as people, the skills they learned in team sports, you know, they're both coaching, one's refing. They're both getting their own daughters involved in it. The payback to women's sports, that's what I love. And final question, do you ever take a moment and just think about the places lacrosse has taken you, the friendships it's given you, the connections it's given you, the impact you have made on people through the sport? Do you ever take a minute and just take stock of how special it's all been? I definitely think you do need to be grateful for those relationships, those people in your lives, 
those moments that you're talking about through all my time in sports from my you know ninth grade coach saying you should try lacrosse being my PE teacher and now my true friend who runs a sporting goods store like those people in my life yes but I keep them in my life it's not like I have to go back and look when I received the Tuaraton Ward and that's coming up I had to look through and give them some back history I was like wow pinch me like yes I am grateful and I do sometimes have to say you know I just need to let you know I'm not going to be in work tomorrow because I'm receiving this award they're like really like I'm impressing someone but I know that um, there's a lot of great people out there. So anybody would say that it's it's exciting and it's it's from years of, you get to be a legend because you're around a long time, but it's from years of loving the opportunity that I've had. Kathleen Geiger, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. Matt, thank you for having me. It's always great to talk women's sports. And that will do it for this week's episode. want to thank Kathleen Geiger for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.